Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. Have you ever sent your kids looking for something in their room or your husband into the kitchen? Or husbands, your wives into the toolbox? And they come back with this empty handed and, and bewildered look on their face. Or, or have you heard this statement before when you're commanded uh, to do something? Listen to me. I'm about to tell you something. Listen. Um, perhaps it's uh, when, when us men are sent to the grocery store. We have to get a specific thing and we don't come back with the right thing. Our, uh, our, parent, our parents and teachers would often repeat things to us so that we wouldn't miss what they were trying to say. It, it wasn't that we couldn't hear them. It was that it didn't register in our minds. We heard what they had to say, but we, we didn't contemplate about what they were saying. We didn't think about the words. Sometimes we, we simply miss the point of what is trying to be communicated. When I was in sixth grade, our class had a contest to see who could memorize the most verses, the most verses from the Scripture. And um, I remember the weekend before the contest, my, the contest, my family and I went on a trip somewhere. I don't remember where. It just seemed like we were in the van for a long time. And at that time, you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. So I remember sitting between two seats in the back. And I had my Bible there, and I was thinking, how am I going to win this contest? I'm a very competitive person, and I wanted to win. And I had learned a lot of verses from uh, the church that I grew up in and, and from school and so on, but I knew it wasn't going to be enough. So I had a brilliant idea. I would find all the shortest verses in the Bible and learn them as quickly as I could. But the thing is, is the contest required that you had to know the reference and each word of the verse. You had to get it correct, perfect or else the verse did not count at all. It wasn't that she just took one point off. She took the whole verse off. So I I started searching through the Bible to find the shortest verses I could find. I started out at the beginning. And I found this one verse that was repeated over and over again. And it was only a couple words long, and I figured if I can just learn these words and re- memorize all of the references, then, then I think I could do pretty well in this contest. And the nice part about this particular verse was that the, it was the first verse of several of the chapters that I was looking at. It was in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So when it's time for the test, I wrote furiously. I wrote down all the short verses that I learned over those that weekend, the same seven words. I wrote it 28 times, so that's how many times it had been repeated, along with all the other verses that I had remembered uh, through, my, uh, through my life to that point. And I got all the references correct. I got all the words correct that I wanted to put down. I was so excited. You want to know what the verse is? This is some real spiritual meat for you. Ready? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... You go through the Pentateuch, and that verse is repeated over and over again. And I learned that verse, and I planted that deep in my heart. 
Now, did I obey the rules of that contest? Sure. She said, learn as many verses as you can, put down the reference, put down the verse. I did that. But do you suppose that was the purpose of the contest? Did, did I get the point of what she was trying to do? Was it to see who could memorize the most facts or the most uh, words in themselves or ideas? No. Otherwise, she would have had us memorize the dictionary or the encyclopedia or something. No, she wanted us to, to learn verses so that, that we could understand God's truth more fully and be able to apply it to our lives. It was to give us an opportunity to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. Now, do you suppose I accomplished that purpose? Did I accomplish the purpose that she set out for us? No. In fact, when, when Mrs. Watkins, my teacher, was grading the papers, she called me to her desk. She said, young man, I am very disappointed in you. You see, I missed the point of what she was trying to do. I was concerned about winning a contest, and she was concerned about deepening my spiritual understanding. And what we'll see this morning is that's, in fact, what the, the disciples do in a similar way. They, they, they miss the point. We've kind of been seeing this as we've been going through the passage, but let's look at, at uh, this particular passage in chapter 8, verse 11, and we'll see what God has for us this morning from His Word. Chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, verse 11. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread, that is, the disciples, and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving them orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, Twelve. And when I broke the seven of the, for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? By the way, I, I came in second place in that contest. And I think my teacher was pretty happy about that. The girl who beat me did it legitimately. In order for us to understand this passage this morning and how it applies to our lives, we need to see the, the Pharisees' problem, and then we'll see the disciples' problem, and then the problem as, uh, from Jesus' perspective. Okay, So we'll see uh, two different problems, one by the Pharisees, one by the disciples, and then Jesus looking at the disciples' problem and showing them uh, what their real problem was. And what we're going to see today is that failure to see what Christ has done will result in weak faith. Failure to see what Christ has done will result in weak faith. We begin here in verse 11 with the Pharisees asking for a sign. Now, the Pharisees, 
were very skeptical of what Jesus was doing. They were looking for this promised one, this man who was supposed to come, this Messiah from the Old Testament that, that had been prophesied. And yet they thought this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was doing the miracles that he was doing under the power of Satan. If you remember back to chapter 3, they actually accused him of that. He said, the only way you can do those miracles, the Pharisees say, the only way you can do those miracles, Jesus, is if you're doing it under the power of Beelzebub, Satan himself. And so what the Pharisees are doing here when they're asking for a sign is not in a spiritual way. They're not saying, you know, it would be really great if I just had a little bit of validation. No, they're trying for Jesus to validate, to, to authenticate that he is who he said he was. They had already come to a conclusion about who Jesus was, and no amount of evidence that they received would have, would have uh, convinced them of who Jesus was. They had already made up their minds, hadn't they? In his gospel, Mark never uses the word sign for the idea of miracle. Rather, it is the idea of something that proves or validates another thing. So the Pharisees were looking for a way to prove Jesus' authority. You say you're the Son of God. You say you're the promised Messiah. Well, prove it. It's like those men who were mocking Jesus while He was on the cross. If you are really who you say you are, then why don't you come down from there? But you know, Jesus doesn't have to make proof. You see, the, the Pharisees had already received enough validation. They had already received enough evidence of who Jesus was. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12 and you'll see this. Matthew chapter 12. And Matthew gives us the same story but with the fuller description of what went on. See, Mark is getting to a different point. He's showing the problem of the disciples here, but Matthew wants to show that there is also a problem with the Pharisees. And so he highlights this story and brings out more details as to what exactly happened. So we'll read his account of it in chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Okay, so same story that we're reading about in Mark. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is that you have enough. You've already received the Old Testament. You've seen the record of Jonah. You've seen what he said to the people of Nineveh and how they repented. How can you not accept me for who I say I am? And how, and how can you not accept me for who the Scriptures say that I am? You see, they were looking for a sign, but really they were looking for validation. They were looking for further proof of who Jesus was. Back to Mark chapter 8. You'll see why this is a problem. Verse 11 tells us why this is a problem. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, 
to test him. You see, they were testing him. We see this. We'll, we'll see this when we look to chapter 10, verse 2, and chapter 12, verse 15. That the people are looking for a sign in order to test him. They're trying to see if if he can be proven to be who he is. But the scriptures tell us that we should never put the Lord our God to the test. See, Jesus is Lord, and He cannot be put to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. We need to accept Him as who He says He is because He is God. You see, their desire for for a sign showed their lack of faith. You see, even if Jesus had given an undeniable sign, they still would not have believed because Hebrews tells us that faith is, is the is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You have to believe in what is not seen in order to have faith in Jesus Christ. And He's saying, I've given you enough. Now will you believe in what is not seen? And Jesus often would refuse to do anything to get His scoffers to believe because he recognized that they already had made up their minds and giving them further proof would only give them more condemnation. They would be responsible for more truth now and it would only make their eternity that much worse. They must discern God's truth from the way they had received it. It really comes down for the Pharisees to a question of authority. Who is serving whom? Who is serving whom? Are, are you going to accept what revelation I have given you? Or are you going to demand more from me because you think you are better than me? So this is the problem that Jesus... We, we need to understand that what, the, what the Pharisees are doing here because this will help us understand what the disciples' problem is. Okay, Let's see what the disciples' problem is in verse 14. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. So from the disciples' perspective, they're out on the boat and they realize that they have only one loaf. And remember, these loaves are not loaves like we have. They are simply a flat piece of bread, small barley loaf, that someone would eat several of these at one meal. And they only had one to share with all these people, all 12 of the disciples plus Jesus Christ. So what, the, what were they going to do? How were they going to find their food? And so they saw this problem that they had, that, that they didn't have enough to eat. And when Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees in verse 15, the disciples think that He's talking about bread. He's talking about literal bread. Now we'll talk about what Jesus means there, but, but notice in verse 16, after Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, they begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So they, they say, oh, Jesus recognizes our problem. And He recognizes that we should have had some more leavened bread here so that we could all eat. But Jesus points out the problem. Let's read verse 15. And He was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This leaven is used by Jesus not in a positive light. Not that we think of leaven that it make, it gives growth, right? Jesus is not talking about it that way. Rather, He's talking about the idea that where leaven uh, spreads 
It grows and infects, we could say. It infects everything around it. And so what he's saying is the, the Pharisees are looking for a sign. They're looking for more proof. And you've got to watch out for their leaven because what they're doing can spread to everything around them. And you, disciples, could be, could be responsible. You could be uh, following their footsteps. He also mentions here at the end of verse 15, 11 of Herod. You remember when Jesus was on trial in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, that, that Herod wanted a sign from Jesus. He was asking him all these questions. Hey, are you really who you say you are? Are you really the Christ, the Son of God? And he was doing it in order to test him, to get a sign from Jesus. But Jesus said, watch out for these people. They're leading you astray and their leaven can spread and infect you. This opposition of the Pharisees and Herod had been building up over time. And it resulted in their disbelief in Jesus, their unbelief. And it was evidenced in their, in their desire to see a sign from Jesus. Listen, you've told us what, about yourself. We've seen the Old Testament, but we don't buy it. We need a little bit more. Just a little bit more and then we'll believe. And so Jesus turns to His disciples and gives them a warning. He says, don't be fermented. Don't be influenced. Be leavened by them. Watch out for the posture of your own heart. That your heart doesn't become like their heart. That, that is constantly demanding a sign from God. That's demanding that, that God gives you more than what He's already given you. And as a result, you willfully disbelieve. You, you willfully disregard what He has said. Now, why doesn't God just give us a sign? Why doesn't God just give us a little bit more? Well, as I said from Hebrews chapter 11, faith is believing in what we don't see. It's the evidence of things what we hope for. Because if, if we actually saw them, if we actually realized them, then we wouldn't have faith anymore. It would now be sight, you see. And that will happen one day. But what God calls for in, in us and in the disciples is that we believe in the revelation that He has already given the Pharisees do not want to believe. They just want to condemn Jesus. And Jesus uses several different ways to show them how faithless they have become. Notice the text there. Verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Okay, now, now Jesus is going to unpack here the way in which they have been influenced by the Pharisees how they have not accepted the revelation they've received. Notice the end of the verse. Do you not yet see or understand? So first, it was a failure to see. A failure to see what God had given to them. It was blind eyes spiritually. He mentions this again in verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? It was their failure to see spiritually what was going on. It was also their failure to understand. Notice the end of verse 17. Do you not see or understand? They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't contemplate. We've talked about this and we'll talk about that a little bit more. It was also a failure to hear. Verse 18. Have, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? 
You notice that these words here at the verse part, first part of verse 18 are printed in all capital letters. That simply means that it's a quotation from the Old Testament. And so Jesus here is, is referencing the Old Testament to show that, that, uh, that they are acting similarly to unbelievers. This is how Jesus had described uh, the, the Pharisees in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't perceive. They don't get it. And that's why I speak to you in parables. I speak to you in that way so that, so that those things can be hidden from them and shown to you. But don't you fall into their trap. Don't you miss the point. It was a failure to understand. It was a failure to see, a failure to hear. It was a failure, verses 19 and 20, to reflect on what God had done. At the end of verse 18 it says, And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves? And he goes on and talks about these two previous events. Don't you remember what happened with the feeding of the 5,000? How many baskets full did, did we pick up? Twelve? Yes, that was right. Now, now what about when I fed the 4,000? How many, how many large baskets, the, the hampers? How many hampers did I pick up? Did you guys pick up seven? Well, you remember that, but, but how can you not understand what's going on there? How can you miss the point? They failed to reflect on what Christ did. But perhaps the most indicting thing that Jesus says about them is found at the end of verse 17, and I skipped over it. <clears throat> that is, do you have a hardened heart? Do you have a hardened heart? This is a failure to accept truth. Instead of growing in spiritual understanding, their hearts were becoming hardened. They were becoming insensitive to what Jesus had given to them. This is the term, the hardened heart, used in the New Testament of unbelievers primarily. Primarily, it's used of Pharisees, people who were not only unbelievers, but they actually hated the truth. They were rejecting it actively. However, Mark uses this word, this phrase, hardened heart, twice to refer to the to the disciples. Here, he says, "Do you have a hardened heart?" And also in chapter six, verse fifty-two. Turn back there with me. It's a verse I've referenced several times, but I want to show you it in light of what we're looking at this morning. Chapter six, verse fifty-one. We'll start there. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the instant of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So Jesus comes out to them on the water. He walks to them on the water. And we could say, disciples, how did you miss the point? How did you miss that that was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah? And Mark tells us why. It's because they did not gain any insight from the loaves, that is, the feeding of the 5,000, and their hearts were hardened. They were beginning to grow cold and indifferent to the truth of God's Word. They were starting to reject it just like the Pharisees were actively rejecting it. And this was something, this nearsightedness that the, the, the disciples had was evident throughout, is evident throughout the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 4, when Jesus gives the first parable about the sower... He says to them, do you not yet understand? Don't you get it? If you don't understand this parable, 
then how are you going to understand any parable? In chapter 4, verses 40 and 41, after Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and calms the sea, what do the disciples say there? They say, who is this who can cause the wind and the waves to obey Him? Who is this? You see, they're, they're, they're still spiritually short-sighted. They don't quite get it. How about with the feeding of the 5,000? They have all these people here. 5,000 men, Matthew says, plus women and children. And Jesus says to them, you feed them. And what do they say? We, we don't have enough money to do it. See, they still don't get it. They're missing the point. When He walks on water, we just read about that. When He speaks about the tradition of the elders in chapter 7, they don't get it, they don't get it that, that food isn't what defiles a person. It is, it is what comes from the heart. And then in the feeding of the 4,000, of course, we have a similar incident to what we had before. Jesus says, are you going to give them something to eat? And they say, you need to send them away. Send them. We, 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 there's not even enough food in the area to provide for, for these people. And Jesus says, have them sit down. I'll provide for them. The disciples were falling, falling into the trap of the Pharisees. They were, they were uh, being affected by their leaven. They were being fermented because they now were looking for a sign from Jesus. Jesus, we've seen these events. We can even tell you about them, what exactly happened, but we don't quite understand who you are or what you're doing. The disciples were in many ways like that half-witted sidekick that you read about in crime novels. You know, they're there. They, they try to help out as much as they can, but they just don't quite get it. Or my kids watch the movie Cinderella, and you got Gus Gus, the little mouse. Okay, if you're familiar with that movie, they all they all put together the, the the mice and the birds all put together this dress for Cinderella so that she can go to the ball. And when they surprise her with it, everybody else surprised except for Gus Gus. He says, "The the the happy birthday." He thinks that he thinks it's her birthday. See, he's been along for the whole ride. He he, he just doesn't get it. And the disciples are the same way. It's as if Jesus is winking at them while they're blind. Or if He's whispering to them and they're deaf. They're there. They see the events happening, but they, they miss the point. And so the main problem that we have, both in the Pharisees and in the disciples, is their lack of faith. That is the root problem. They, they, they fail to have faith in Jesus Christ. It's evidence in the Pharisees asking for a sign, and it's evidence in the disciples in missing the point. They say, we don't have enough bread. How are we going to eat? They just saw it happen twice. To much bigger crowds, and they didn't think that Jesus could do it in this situation. If faith is what Christ is calling us to, what is our responsibility? Well, our responsibility is to not have a hardened heart. Remember, I said hardened heart is a, is a spiritual insensitivity to the Word of God. So, so the reverse of that is that we must have a sensitivity to what God is saying. We must recognize that, that it is from God. You see, the, un, the Pharisees were unwilling to do so. They demanded a sign. They wanted Christ to come to them on, on their terms. 
And so we have to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ the way that He gives it to us. The way that He presents Himself, we need to accept that. Okay, So that means when it comes to the Scriptures, it would be nice for the Scriptures to say whatever we wanted it to say. But God didn't tell you uh, those things that you want to know. He told you what He wanted you to know. And so we must accept the Scriptures on the authority that they are. That, that, that we need nothing else than, that, than what is there. So we need to accept Christ's authority when it comes to the Scriptures. And then here's perhaps a harder one, and that is when it comes to our circumstances. Whether it be the parents that you have been given, or the siblings, or the spouse, or the children, or the relatives, or the work, the co-workers, whether it be the amount of money, the type of health you have, we have to submit to God that He's given us what is best. Have you ever thought, if only, and then fill in the blank, and then we get the spiritual ending to it, I could serve God better. If only... I know I could serve God better. What Jesus is teaching us here is that we must submit we must submit to him based on the circumstances that we've been put in. You say, "Well, you don't understand. If this person hadn't treated me in this way, if I didn't have the childhood that I had, then I could serve God better. If only I didn't have this this problem child or, or this cantankerous spouse, then I know, I just know I could serve God better. Or here's a more spiritual one. If only there were more clarity from God about what He wants from me, then I could serve Him better. If only I had more money. If only I had health like this person has health. No wonder he serves you so well. Look at him. But look at me. I don't have that kind of health. If I, if I did, I know I would serve them like serve you like like that person does. Or, or if I had a better job, then I could serve God better. Well, you don't. You don't have all those things. That person has treated you like garbage. You don't have the ideal child or spouse or parents, perhaps. You, you don't have more money. You don't have better health. You don't have uh, more revelation from God. So how are you going to respond? Well, if you lack faith, then you'll respond like the fool in Proverbs 19.3, 19.3, who ruins his way, and the Scriptures say, his heart rages against the Lord. If only I had enough. Turn to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, towards the end of your Bible. Because what Peter tells us here is very helpful for what we're talking about today. And he dispels quickly this argument that we have, that we don't have enough. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 2. 
Peter writes, on the authority of God, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. The last part of that verse tells us that it is through the Word, that is through the Word, Jesus Christ, that we have, the first part of the verse, everything that we need. It says His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. What Peter is saying here is that, that what God has given you is enough. It's sufficient. When we make When we make all these excuses that We can't serve God better because for whatever reason, what we're doing is we're saying that, God, you haven't given me enough. It's not enough. And Peter says, that is a lie of of the world, of Satan. We're saying, God, if I were in your shoes, I would give me more because, because then I could trust you more. See? I've got all these bad things that have happened to me and I, and I would love to serve you. I would, God, but but you haven't given me enough. When we fail to submit to what God has given us, we become like the Pharisees who are looking for a sign. That is, further validation of God. You know, I kind of think you're there, but just give me one more to put more, put me over the edge. And Jesus says, You've already had everything you need. Look at the the message of Jonah. Peter says, His Word is enough for you. So, here is how you fail for Christ. Okay, three ways. One, don't listen to what He has to say. God speaks through His Word. If you want to fail for Christ, don't listen to Him. Be like the Pharisees and, and all these people who have rejected Him. Don't listen to Him. Secondly, if you want to fail for Christ, don't reflect on what He's had to say. Be like the disciples who were starting to become like the Pharisees. They had lots of revelation from God. They had lots of truth, but they failed to reflect on it. And like the Pharisees, they didn't connect the dots. And number three, if you want to fail for Christ, don't do what He said to do. They fail to meet up to his expectations by not obeying him. James 1 says, if you want to uh, be honoring to God, then prove yourself as a doer of the word. Not just hear. Don't just listen to the word. It's not enough to just listen. The Pharisees listened. The, the disciples listened, but that's not enough. You have to listen, you have to reflect, and you have to do. The Pharisees didn't get it. They demanded a sign. The disciples didn't get it. They became influenced by the Pharisees and, the Her- and Herod, And the followers of Herod, they weren't reflecting on what Christ had done. Before we ridicule them too much, then we should ask ourselves, do we get it? Do we get the point? Is our faith any better than the disciples? Christ has revealed Himself through the Gospel through the Word. And do you realize that, that you 
have more revelation than even the disciples had. Yes, they had Jesus, who was the perfect representation of, of who God was, but, but there were still a lot of things that were, were unclear for them because Christ hadn't fully revealed them to, them, to, to these people. But you do. You have more than they. You have the entire Word of God. Exactly what He wanted you to know. It is sufficient. And really, having a copy of the Scriptures in in your language is an anomaly when you think about us in comparison to the rest of history. It's only within the last 500 years that people had their own copy of their Scriptures. And even within our world, you are part of a small percentage of people who have it in your language. And so you have all this great revelation, and yet you and I are just as often short-sighted as the disciples, aren't we? We are just as short-sighted as they. We often fail to recognize what God is doing all around us, for example, our food. We think, well, well, I I made the money to pay for it. I'm the one who, you know, went to the grocery store and picked it up. I I put the money down for it. It's technically true, but ultimately the scriptures tell us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life, light, who with whom there is no shifting of shadows. He doesn't change. He is a good God, and He is the one who provides for you. James one seventeen. Sometimes we fail to recognize that our skills come from God, our abilities. Well, you don't understand. I worked hard to get where I am. I've developed these skills. Did you? Did you do that apart from God? Or, Or perhaps our healing. Somebody gets healed around us or we get healed. We say, well, I must have had a good doctor. That must have been it. No, I'm not saying that doctors are not included in the means by which God... Heal the person. But what I am saying is those good things all come from God. So are you like the disciples or are you starting to get it? Christ is enough. I want to leave you with a, a way in which you can reflect on this truth and think about it in order to to increase in your faith. Are you interpreting the world through the lens of faith? That is, do you see God in control of everything? And that we must submit ourselves wholly to Him. Faith is believing what God has given us, even if it's unseen. Even if we can't actually see it. That's what faith is. And until you recognize what faith is and what God demands of you with regard to faith, you will be like the Pharisees looking for more and more signs and and being dissatisfied with your current situation. And you know, the only way to have true joy in this life is to recognize that God is in control and to believe that His Word is true, 2 Peter 1.3 that He has given you enough. You don't need anything else. He's given you enough. And Jesus 
in the Gospel of Mark, throughout the Gospel, has been saying, and he's going to continue to say, have faith in me. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father, it is sobering for us to consider our condition and to consider our state apart from Jesus Christ. If it were not for His grace, we would stand condemned before You. We would deservedly receive Your wrath. And if You were not a merciful and a loving God, we would have already died in our sin. We already been, would have been judged, but You are forbearing. You are long-suffering. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. And You wait until we come to You. You give us time. And unfortunately, not everybody will come to You. There are many who will turn from You and reject You like the Pharisees did and like the disciples were starting to do. And yet, You have told us in Your Word that Your Word is enough. It is sufficient. And we admit that at times we shake our hand in Your face and we say, You need to give me more. Or You have given me this difficult circumstance and if You, give me, you gave us more, we could serve You better. Perhaps we don't say it in those terms, but we do it with our demeanor in our, in our discontentment with life, in the way that we treat other people, in our failure to give thanksgiving to You in all things. And as a result, we, we show our lack of faith, our short-sightedness. And we recognize that much like when Jesus fed the 4,000, we don't have the power, like the disciples didn't have the power to do that activity, that miracle. We don't have the power to sanctify ourselves. And so we turn to You. We turn back to You and say, God, please give us the strength to obey. Allow Your Spirit to work through us and to refine us, to remove our doubts, and to accept what You have said as truth. We can only do that through the power of Your Spirit. And so we ask that You would pour Him upon us as we do our part in, in responsibly participating in removing sin and in loving and learning the Word of God more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name, our great Savior. Amen.